Are you tired of scrolling your feed only to see the highlight reel version of motherhood? If so, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Motherhood Intended Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Baird, and I'm a passionate mom here to support women like you in their unique journeys to and through motherhood. I have been through it all. We're going to be talking about things like trying to conceive, infertility, IVF, surrogacy, mom life, and more. It's time to get real about what it takes to be a mom and come together in the fact that things don't always go as planned. So here we go. Hey friends, thanks for joining me for today's episode. I'm going to jump right in with our fertility fact of the week. So did you know that 80 to 90% of couples will get pregnant within a year of trying? So that means out of every 100 couples trying for a baby, 80 to 90 of them will get pregnant within the year. The rest will take longer, or maybe they'll need some help to conceive. Now, this being said, doctors will tell you that if you are under 35 years old, try for a year before seeking infertility help or going any further. If you're 35 or older, try for six months, mostly because you are kind of running against the clock, so you don't want to waste time. Now, even though doctors say this, and even though the statistics say that 80 to 90% of you will get pregnant within the year of trying, go with your gut. because. That's what I did, and it is pretty solid advice if I do say so myself. I'm really, really happy back in 2014 when we started trying to conceive that I only waited about six months before investigating further. I just knew in my gut that something wasn't right. You know, I did have a history of really horrible periods, and I had had some leap procedures done. I just, just always kind of felt like, I was going to have difficulty conceiving. Happy I did investigate further because after six months of trying, I saw a fertility doctor and turns out my fallopian tube was blocked and I had polyps. So instead of wasting another six months trying with about half the chance of getting pregnant, we decided to have that taken care of and then we continued on with trying. Now, of course, our trying to conceive journey went on much, much longer than I anticipated and needed much more intervention than I was prepared for, but Nonetheless, I'm happy I went with my gut and checked that out further. On the flip side, if you are trying to conceive and trying to start your family, be patient. You know, if you don't have a crazy reproductive history and you're in good health overall, I think the one-year mark if you're under 35 is solid advice. You only have, I think, a 20% chance of getting pregnant every single month. So it makes sense to me that it could take a year. So there you have it, your fertility fact of the week. 80 to 90% of couples will be pregnant within a year of trying. So in today's episode, we are going to be talking about yoga and how it can weave itself into motherhood. With me today, I have Sarah Ezrin, who is the award-winning author of the book, The Yoga of Parenting, 10 Yoga-Based Practices to Help You Stay Grounded, Connect With Your Kids, and Be Kind to Yourself. Sarah is a freelance writer, a yoga educator, and content creator based in the Bay Area, and her willingness to be honest and vulnerable along with her innate wisdom make her writing, teaching, and social media great resources of healing and connection for many people. Sarah brings a wide spectrum of life experiences into everything she does. She's unafraid of sharing all sides of herself. She does so in the hope of giving others permission to be their most authentic self. Sarah writes extensively on the subjects of yoga, parenting, and mental health, often interweaving these themes. Her work ranges from heavily reported assignments to personal essays to blog content for brands. She's a regular contributor for Yoga Journal Magazine, Motherly, Yoga International, Healthline, Yahoo Parenting, Scary Mommy, Mind Body Green, Mantra Magazine, and LA Yoga Magazine. She's also been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Bustle, LA Weekly, and NBC News. Take a listen. 
Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Motherhood Intended Podcast. Hi, Jacqueline. I'm so, so excited to be here. I am so excited to have you on today and to get to know you a little bit more from the interviews and what I've seen on social media. I feel like you and I have this in common that we both are like oversharers. <laughs> and we both uh, kind of have a love of connecting with people on you know different levels and and topics that aren't often talked about. So I'm very excited uh, to go there because we both kind of have that in common. And I think it's so important to connect with people on that level. I want to think of a different word than overshare because I know, you know I feel like <laughs> and and I do agree, which is why I fell in love with you was listening to your podcast. Um, you know, as well as that you're not afraid to go into those places. So I think we need like a word, we need to workshop a different word for it. You know, I maybe agree. it's just, I like, you know, candid, authentic. Um, yes. But yeah, I'm, I am like you, you know, I, I, I don't want to hide behind things. I much prefer to live out loud and I love doing that in community. And that's what Social media has been a wonderful source of and things like your podcast and, you know, creating these communities. And now we're, we're back in public again and, and back doing group gatherings. But yeah, anytime that I can live out loud and then help others feel seen and heard, I feel like I've done my job. Yes, I completely agree. I think we could definitely use a different name. Oversharing sounds a little <laughs> negative, but I like the idea of being authentic and just yeah, living out your truth and everything. That's awesome. I love um, living out loud, living out loud. Yes, like, I know. like that. I yeah. like that. Feel free to take it. Oh, you know what? I am. I'm, I'm going to use that going forward. I like that. So I know that you are a mom. You are a yoga educator, an author, all these amazing things that were mentioned in your bio. And I'm super excited to dive into talking about your new book, The Yoga of Parenting. To get started, I want to know your definition of yoga, because when I think of yoga, I've done yoga. I've gone to yoga classes. I'm not super educated on the topic, um, but I've dabbled. I think of like the actual physical poses of yoga. And I know it's more than that. And especially in regards to the things you talk about in your book and just related to parenting. So what is your definition of yoga? Oh, I so I'm so grateful that you asked that question, because sometimes we just like go right into the conversation and then I have to like kind of backpedal and be like, but wait, you know, I think yeah. we need to redefine. <laughs> it's not even a redefining. I think we need to properly define. So what we think of yoga in the West is very similar to what you're describing, right? We automatically, uh, we think of poses and the physical practice, which is just one tiny, tiny aspect. But yoga really is an umbrella for a number of contemplative practices. So it can include mantra, prayer, um, singing, any kind of even karma. There's like a whole sect of yoga called karma yoga. So when you're giving back and you're, you know, you're being of service. That's a form of yoga. Jnana yoga is the yoga of knowledge. So when you're reading and you're learning, that's a form of yoga. So just in a bigger picture, there is an umbrella of philosophies under which yoga, all these different practices fall. But when I look at the word and I think of like, if I had to describe it in a single word, for me, it's connection. Yoga is about connection. And, and all those different philosophies and meditative practices are just different ways of connecting to yourself on a deeper level, connecting to other or connecting to something higher, just connecting to a higher power. Okay. That is really, really cool. I love that yoga. It's so much deeper than what I thought it was. And I'm sure a lot of people listening because yeah, for me, it was always like, okay, this is my time to like be calm and, you know, relax and then work on my stretching and yeah. perfect my poses. And that's like how yeah. I felt. So I, it's so eye-opening to know that yoga is just so much more than that. And also because it is those things, 
most of us are doing yoga throughout the day and not even aware of it, right? Most, and especially with parents, yeah, we are practicing yoga all day long. And, and many people are advanced practitioners without really knowing it. You know, some people are doing the work without even being aware. So I think, yeah. you know, there's that side of it too, just really opening up our idea about it. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what was your first relationship with yoga and how's that evolved? Like how, how did you get into yoga? Mine was purely physical. And I think it's like, that's very common in the West. It's, it's a tangible door for us to walk through. Like if you had told me at 19 years old that like I should be meditating, like I would have laughed, you know? Yeah. But, but, you know, stretch and move my body. That was a little bit more intriguing. I mean, to be fully honest, I had zero interest. Mm-hmm. In starting a yoga practice, my dad sent me a VHS as a joke because I was turning 19 and he wanted to imply that I was like getting older, got to take yeah. care of yourself, you know, which is like, I'm 41 now, like, very, you know, haha, 19. Yeah. But I don't think he actually sent it to me with the intention of me like enjoying it. And <laughs> my roommate at the time, who was also a well-known yoga teacher in the Pacific Northwest, we put it in, we put in the video and we just were like, mesmerized from go. Both of us were so intrigued and we would do the video in our dorm room. We went to a public class. Like, you know, it was, it it definitely a seed was planted. Now I wasn't practicing regularly. I was still, you know, very much to the college days. I had, you know, other things going on personally, mental health uh, challenges and balances. I was uh, dealing with an eating disorder at the time. But I kept coming back to it. It just kept being this place where I came back to and came back to. And then when I was working in the film industry and also having an unhealthy lifestyle, I was like, okay, it's time for me to recommit to this. And that's when I just went full force. So I used to go to classes at like 730 at night. I would drive from Hollywood to Santa Monica where I live. I would drive like all the way across town to go to these late night classes because that was like the only way I was surviving the intensity of the industry. And then my mom got diagnosed with lung cancer and I was like, all right, like this life is too short. I'm miserable in my job and I love doing yoga. Can I make a career out of this? And that was over 15 years ago, almost 16 years now. Wow. That's Crazy. such a cool story. I'm sure your dad, when he gave you that VHS, he was literally just thinking like, oh, this is hilarious. Like you're getting old, time to do your stretches. And then here you are just like fully transformed by the idea of yoga. It's, it's so cool. Let's take a quick break. The heart behind the I'm on podcast is storytelling because every mom has a story to tell. I know that when I talk to my friends who are parenting and we share stories, we all end up feeling less alone and more capable of loving our kids well. You can find information everywhere on the internet. Some is bad parenting advice and some is pretty wise. We like to think there's a lot of wisdom on imom.com. And when you combine that signature wisdom with a great story, it brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the iMom podcast with new episodes every Monday. I mean, I do, you know, to be honest, like as much as like I think it was like har har a joke, I was quite unhealthy at the time. I was still like very dealing with drug abuse problems and you know, I think that even though it was a joke, like I think he was subconsciously trying to plant sure. seeds of wellness in some mm-hmm. way. Um, 
And it was actually the best way to do it, right? Because if yeah. he sent it to me and being like, oh, I really think you should check this out. Like I wouldn't, totally. I wouldn't have even put it in, but because it was a joke and we were prepared to, you know, to, to make fun of it. Yeah. Um, but instead it blew my world open in the most yeah. beautiful way. Like, yeah, if my parents sent me that and they were like, you're going to need to do this. You should probably get your life in check. I'd be like, okay. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, parents know best, right? Whether they realize they're doing it or not. And that's really cool. Like you mentioned, yoga kind of became your place when things were stressful. You were struggling with different things. In parenthood, you talk about in your book how I know you go through different yoga poses and how that relates to parenting. Talk a little bit about that and the parallel of yoga and parenting and how that comes together beautifully in your book. Yeah, thank you. Again, I think the poses are the gateway for so many people. Like if I had come in and the chapter started with like a philosophy lesson. I, I just, I think people are multisensorial learners. Everybody learns in a different way. And some people are, you know, very much into words and, you know, love reading philosophy and they can get it right away. That's not me. I, I need to see it. I need to feel it. And I always learned best in my body. So if we were talking about something like letting go, right, then for me, I can talk about it on like this very ethereal way. Or I can practice doing a pose where I'm just like not attaching to the results of it, like a balanced pose and letting myself fall. Like to me, I'm going to learn way more about letting go of attachment, falling out of a pose and letting myself fall than us like discussing it in the ether, you know? So th that was right. the, the reason for that. I mean, to be fully transparent, I was trying to push. I was like, let's not use poses, you know? I, even yeah. though I, I do love them and I think it's important, but I'm, I'm so glad we ended up keeping it in. And with each chapter, I wanted there to be different pathways to the same lesson, right? So whether it's like an interview and someone's story or it's modern research and psychology and brain research or it's ancient yogic teachings or it's a physical pose that you can do on your own. I just wanted all these different avenues to kind of get to the same thing. I love that. It's approachable for anyone who reads it. Cause like you said, people really take things in differently. I am more of like a, yeah, a physical learner, a list, you know, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm, I like to see action to really take it all in. Same thing. If I read a whole paragraph on the philosophy of something, I'd probably tune out to be completely honest yeah. and not really yep. get in there. So I really like how you set that up. A lot of things we talk about on motherhood intended are kind of the different pieces of motherhood that don't, well, all of motherhood, right? Doesn't always go <laughs> as planned. Um, if there's one thing I've learned as someone who has a lot of anxiety and loves to control things the best I can, parenting is just the ultimate like lack of control, um, which is a hard lesson to learn. With yoga, can that help or has that helped you personally with learning to kind of let go of control? Because when I think of things like that, I was a dancer growing up. Everything was very precise. There was moves to hit, positions to hit, and that was a good sense of control. But with yoga, how would you say that that kind of relates to I guess, learning how to let go of control in parenthood? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, you know, don't make any claims to have mastered that. I also, I go to Al-Anon. I'm, I'm a couple of years into the program. It's for friends, family, spouses of alcoholics and addicts. And what they say there is that our disease is control. So, you know, unlike the alcoholic whose disease is alcoholism or the addict whose disease is, is that drug, for people that grew up in those situations, then our disease is control. It's that need to control other people, yeah. need to control every situation. 
Um, and that came out in many different ways in my upbringing, whether it was through my anxiety or through eating disorder, or even I started to use my yoga in, in a way that was very controlling as well. I got really, really small and disciplined and kind of obsessive with my yoga practice. So I think how it got kind of blown open and where I really learned to start to let go of control was as my body began to change. And it started first with aging. It started first with injury. And and I remember feeling so helpless. I mean, it was like, oh, I can't just like shove through this. I can't just force myself into this shape anymore because I could do that for a long time. There was a long time I could ignore my signals. But then as I started to get, I had more injuries. I ended up having a shoulder surgery. I was, you know, no longer in my 20s. And then my body in my 30s was very different. than, And now I'm in my 40s and that body's very different. And then, of course, getting pregnant for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, talk about a lesson in out of controlness. I mean, and and in in many ways, as out of control as you are, you're also... Like, I, I don't know how your experiences were, but like, I had to listen to my body. If I didn't listen to my body, I would have alarm bells going off. So like, let's say like, you know, with my second pregnancy, they, I, what is it? They tell you not to lay on your right, right? They tell you not. But I, that was the only side that was comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It was just how he was laying. And so I like, I had to listen to my body. If I tried to lay on my left, I would start having like to affect my breathing, my heart rate would increase. And and that's just like on a smaller scale or rather a larger scale. That's like a pretty yeah. good indicator. But it was happening on smaller scales on the mat all the time in like, mm, this doesn't really feel good right now. Or, oh, I think you need to slow down right now. Or maybe we need to take our feet a little wider. Maybe, you know, this isn't really a pose that is appropriate for us right now. So it it all kind of comes back to the body and and I think why asana you know was such an important and that's the physical practice uh gateway but that has been I mean you just you can't control it right as much as you try right. to control every other thing and I had controlled my body for a long time with my eating yeah. disorder but aging and illness and injury and motherhood you're put through the gauntlet of of that which you cannot control. And it just gives you a different relationship with it. And I think the motherhood side of it, that like when I was growing another human being, I was much more apt to be kind and to really listen to the changes that needed to happen right. as opposed to when I was like not feeling well or I was sick, then I would be like upset and could, you know, try to ignore my signals. There was yeah. some reason when I was growing my babies inside where I really listened on this deeper level. And and that has encouraged me now at, you know, at this stage to really listen as best I can. That's a really good point. I, I never really thought about it like that, but it's true. I remember same for me being pregnant. There's like a, a switch that goes off and all of a sudden, like, I think I, yeah, I was my best self taking care of myself the best when I knew yeah. I was taking care of somebody else. And yeah, being pregnant was, I think, the very first time of like being aware of my body a lot more. Um, and and yeah, letting go of control as someone who's gone through infertility and just had very difficult pregnancies. You know, even when I wanted to do everything by the book or, you know, lay on this side or eat this, I always had to be very in tune with my body. And when I knew something was wrong or not suiting me well, you you just kind of, it's like a magnifying glass all of a sudden when you turn in. And I can definitely see how, you know, yoga would help 
with that. I never thought about yoga as this tool in so many aspects of your life. I just thought of it as like an exercise yeah. you can choose. It's a whole practice and it's so very interesting to me. And, and, and it's so much more interesting. Sorry to cut you yeah. off, but like, no, go ahead. because the body does change and because we can't do the things that we used to do, right. it's encouraging. I'm dealing with another shoulder injury right now because I'm bre- I'm still breastfeeding with my one and a half year old. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually got pregnant with him while breastfeeding. So I've basically been breastfeeding for the last four years. So my, my oh, body is like, doesn't know what's going on, but like right. there's certain poses I can't do anymore. And remembering that yoga is way more than just the shapes is very encouraging to me because, okay, maybe I don't do down dog anymore, which is like probably one of the staple poses people know. Yeah. I cannot do it right now. It's just too painful. It's just a nice reminder that like, it doesn't matter. Like throw that away and focus on all the other ways that I'm trying to connect. I'm still doing my practice. And I'm I'm in many ways by throwing out that pose, maybe even doing my practice more consciously. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's a practice that can evolve with you throughout motherhood, mm-hmm. whether you're pregnant, postpartum, or have, you know, toddlers running around. It can meet you, I think, where you're at in your motherhood journey. Speaking of like postpartum, and I'm glad people are talking about it more, but so many women experience postpartum anxiety and depression. And it's really nice to see that people are opening up about it more. Did you experience this personally? And if so, did you use your yoga practice to help with any of these like intrusive thoughts postpartum? Yeah, I mean, I I talk about it in the book, like how helpful I think yoga is for intrusive thoughts. But I also want to say that the thing that helped me the most was seeking psychiatric care and having a team come on board because my postpartum anxiety was quite severe and I did choose to go on medication. So I never want to claim that yoga is like this magic bomb, you know, that's going to just fix absolutely everything. And the only way that I could get my yoga to, to actually work for me in that way was that I first needed to get to a baseline. I mean, I always have a baseline anxiety, but I needed yeah, to get out same. of that constant fight or flight, right? Like, so most yeah. people are down here. We're like here. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, when you're in that state, you're like way, 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 way up in the air and everything sets you off. Everything's like there's a loud noise or, you know, everything's an intrusive thought. So first I had to get back to like regular Sarah baseline anxiety yeah. in order to then be able to really apply the practices. And 1000%, you know, with intrusive thoughts, because that was a big thing and I still have them. And by the way, anyone with a human brain does. There, you know, there's yeah. recent research that was saying it was like 70 to 100% of new moms are likely to oh, have wow. intrusive thoughts. They said 100%, like what study? And this was in a neuroscience journal, you know, yeah. so like it, it just goes to show it's so incredibly common, whether you are non-binary or identify as a man or identify as a woman or, you know, as a mother or as a father or as a parent, this is normal. This is human behavior. My theory is that it's evolutionary. Like, you know, of course you're mapping danger. This is how we survived, right, in the wild. So how can yoga help is that when those thoughts start churning and they're so loud, you can, and if you're aware of it, first of all, like, great job being aware of it. Because how often are we just kind of swept into it? But if you're aware of it, then you can make a choice of what you're thinking about next. And it doesn't mean that you just automatically think like, you know, one of mine is like, my kid is safe or we are safe right now. It doesn't mean you say it once and that just magically goes away. It can feel like you are literally lassoing those thoughts every three seconds. 
my kid is safe, my kid is safe, my kid is safe all day long. Yet I would rather be in that place of come back, you know, to my mind, bringing my anxious thoughts back and grounding them reality over and over and over again than just letting my anxious mind run rampant. So that was an enormously helpful. And I still, I mean, I use that practice all the time. So, you know, for example, whatever your intrusive thought may be, whatever the anxious thought may be, you ground in something that is really happening in the moment, not necessarily like an aspirational affirmation, like what's really happening. And even just very simply, like I am sitting on this chair, just so that you're using truth and presence to pull you back to what's real. And yeah, I mean, it can be an all day, every day experience. And I've had many of those days. I mean, especially in in the early stages of my second pregnancy and all the fears around loss. And, you know, I I mean, I'm sure with your your infertility journey, you know, that just it just sets the whole other experience. Um, but I mean, even just like day to day, just driving through an intersection sometimes, you know, yeah. I'll, not to trigger anybody, but I'll have a flash and then I'm like, nope, I, I am safe. We are safe. I am safe. So yeah. that's one of the most helpful ways that yoga can be practiced because it really is a, a, a practice of mind control as well, right? In addition to the, the physical poses, we actually use the poses to access the mind. That's why we do the poses so that we can sit in meditation and then learn how to rein in this wild human mind that we all have. That's so helpful. And I, I didn't know anything about, I mean, I knew postpartum depression after being pregnant for the first time and all of that because you know you go to your checkup and they make you fill out a form or whatever a questionnaire but I I never knew it to the extent I do now like five six years later after being pregnant for the first time and um I definitely didn't know about postpartum anxiety you know I was just like that's just me I have anxiety I've had anxiety since college like probably before that just didn't realize it you know I this is something I struggle with it's just me but I did not realize how heightened it could be postpartum. And those are really helpful tips, thinking of something that is present and in front of you. I did not know those tools at the time. And I know there's different styles of yoga. And I know some of it is a lot about your breath work too. And breathing, you know, that's something that I've found helpful in my anxiety as well. I didn't really think of it as yoga. I just was like, it was more of just survival. Like that's just what I instinctively like wanted to do is take a deep breath. But I, I, I assume it's all in the same practice, right? There's so many different aspects to yoga and different kinds of yoga, correct? Oh, yeah. The breathing is called pranayama. And thank you for bringing that up. You know, I always like hesitate to say it because there are many people that the breath doesn't necessarily calm them. Um, and especially if you have an experience with trauma. So I'm always like, I never want to write it off because I use breathing. I mean, every day that's yeah. it's in every chapter of my book. I'm like, let's have a breath break. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. Um, I think something we can do better as a society is we fill out those questionnaires, but then what? Like, then what happens? Because right. I'll tell you, I filled out mine quite honestly and nothing happened. Yeah. My son's pediatrician called me because I, I filled it out in, the, in there. My OB did nothing, got flagged. Mm-hmm. Nobody was saying anything. And, and how many people are actually being honest? Do you have someone yeah. that, like, here I am being fully honest about my anxiety. It's not putting up any red flags because I'm presenting calmly in the session right. where, like, how many moms are presenting calmly and lying on those forms yeah. because of embarrassment and shame and are silently suffering? So I just, you know, the system needs to change. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know. I mean, I think part of it is having more follow-ups. I think the midwifery model is probably one of the 
more supportive ways because you're getting seen multiple times after having yeah. a baby. You're seeing for 20 to minutes to an hour, right? As opposed right. to that like quick three minute check. But also, you know, I, I just highly encourage us to be more brave if, if we can. And I know it's so hard, but to ask for the help too, you know, to reach out and to ask yeah. for help because I don't think the system is going to save us, right? No one is coming to save us. And fortunately, it's just yet another thing that as moms that we have to advocate for, for ourselves, but we're worth it. You are worth it. And there is incredible resources out there when you know who to ask and where to go. I totally agree. And it's sad that we have to do so much advocating for ourselves, but it's kind of just the what it is. And um, the more we have conversations like this and talk about it, the more helpful it can be. I know I think when I filled out that questionnaire, I don't think I was like intentionally lying per se, but I I don't think I was truthfully honest, mostly because I just didn't know what qualified. Like I thought of postpartum depression as like, like I'm so severely depressed that I want to hurt myself. And there's a lot of levels yeah. of depression and anxiety. And so I think I was just, I just shook it off. Like it was no big deal. Even if I had some of the things on the questionnaire, you know, I just want, it was kind of yeah. like, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. I'm fine. I got it kind of thing. But that's also because I didn't know anything about it. No one was talking about it. I didn't realize there was resources and communities out there to support women through this. So, yeah, I think anytime we can talk about it in any kind of capacity is helpful to women um, postpartum for sure. And one of the women that I interviewed for the book, a woman named Leah Kim, who's a yoga teacher based in New York, she was diagnosed with postpartum when her son was a year and a half. So there's also this misconception that it's only yeah. like the first few weeks or it can only happen within the first year. And that's not true. And then, and again, please don't quote me on this because this I need to be doing more research on. But I believe that that men and non-caring partners are starting to exhibit signs of postpartum yeah. depression. I think I've read so, something on that too. And it was very eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So along with everything that women deal with postpartum and then jumping into having a newborn and, and everything that comes along with parenting, I know as women, we often put some really like unrealistic expectations on ourselves, especially when it comes to motherhood. I know you have chapters in your book that talk about this and how yoga can help us become kinder to ourselves mm. and help us to be aware of like our thoughts and our actions and be truly present, which can be difficult if you're experiencing, you know, anxiety and depression. I know I have a lot of guilt surrounding and people listening, I know with young ones and being a parent through COVID you know, that was just kind of a whole nother layer of trying to be present for your newborn and kind to yourself and just all these things at one time while going through a pandemic. How can the practice of yoga let you turn into yourself and really like just be kinder and teach you these different, I don't know if it's called it like a habit or just way of thinking towards yourself? Because I think about it all the time, how like postpartum me was not a very nice me to myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, I, what's the age of your... So I have a five-year-old and a almost four-year-old. So the almost four-year-old, I think, and my son are probably similar ages. So my son was December 5th. Okay. Yeah. My son was November 18th. Okay. So we had very similar early postpartum. Everything yeah. was shut down. There's kind of a blessing to that because you're yeah. like, oh, well, this is the time to be cocooning. But then you're exactly. also shut off from all of your resources and all of your help. So yeah. And I'm glad, you you know, I think we need to keep talking about it. We're We're we may be like, quote unquote, out of the pandemic, as you know, people want yeah. to say, but the the residual effects are lasting and we need to have these conversations. So I appreciate you bringing that up. 
maybe the word that you're looking for is compassion. I mean, that's the word that comes to mind when, when you were talking is how are we cultivating compassion for ourselves? Even this idea that we need to be present all the time is a pressure that we put on ourselves as moms. And what's interesting, because there's different yogic texts and different yogic lineages, not just like the physical movements, but there's one lineage that is all about, you know, finding liberation by being a part of this world, right? There's many lineages that are like, you know, forget the world, go to a cave, go and meditate. Yeah. You just, you know, <laughs> you find the higher power and connect. But there's a tantric lineage, which is like, no, be in the world. You need to be in the world to know yes. what you are truly connected to and what you're not. And there's a meditation from that lineage called Patra, which is all about just being aware of where your mind is going. So it doesn't even have to be like present in the your physical moment. Like your mind can wander wherever it goes and then you kind of follow it. Like, like just like you would your toddler, right? When you go to a park and you're just curious yeah. and just letting them wander and lead the way. There is a form of meditation where you sit and you just let your mind kind of wander. And the, the key is being aware. So to me, that's more presence than actually being physically like, keyed in and and in a room so i just want to acknowledge that that like it's okay and and it may even be fantasy sometimes of where our mind goes as as long as we are aware but this idea of like we have to be a hundred percent present all the time and we need to savor every single moment i mean that's where we start to get into these challenges of like what is realistic you know and then it, it also goes back to the bigger question which is what's our role as parents? Were we put on this earth be, for our children to be our purpose? Or are we here as stewards and guides to help these people launch into their own humanness? And I think the latter, you know, I know a lot of some people will disagree, but like because of that, they're temporary visitors, you know, and and it's a privilege and we absolutely need to treat them with the utmost respect and and they require constant supervision. And, you know, our job is to keep them alive, but to pour ourselves entirely into them so that we have nothing left just isn't sustainable because where do we go when they move out? Right. Because they yeah. will leave. Right. They will right. leave in some form or another. And so we have to keep filling our tank and our cups in the ways that are most nourishing for us. And sometimes that means not being keyed in presently. Sometimes it means putting on the TV screen or zoning out on your phone or doing the wandering meditation or the wondering meditation, yeah. you know, where you let your mind wander while sitting next to your kids who are doing a puzzle. So I think the compassionate approach is just knowing what you need in that moment and that the needs don't have to fit some like spiritual bill, right? Of like, yeah. you have to be present, you have to be grounded, you have to be breathing. Like, no, I think you just need to be aware. What do I need right now? And to be able to fulfill that, that's, that's a practice in itself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I really like the idea of just being mindful of what you need in that moment, because you're right, it can be overwhelming. And I kind of feel like it's changed from generation to generation. I don't know how, as moms, we got to this point of like being absolutely everything and needing to be present for every single moment. Like, I just don't think that that was necessarily the case, the generation or two before us. And I used to think it was like, well, we're just really good moms. We know better now. We know this. And the more I've gotten into motherhood over the years, I'm like, they might have been onto something. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. I haven't sat with my own thoughts in, in I can't even remember when. And because of that, it, it takes a toll on the way you're being a mom. And, and you might be physically present. I might be sitting there, you know, trying to be engaged with my kids while we're playing a game and spending like quality time together. But 
really I'm mentally exhausted and I, I don't even know who I am because of that. So I really, really like that you said that, you know, being mindful of what you need in that moment, because it means so many things. It doesn't just mean your physical presence and, and all of that. So that's definitely helpful as a mom who feels overwhelmed. <laughs> and the research is there. Like this isn't just like some woo-woo yogic like, yeah. approach, right? The yeah. research is there. It's always quality over quantity, especially when you're burnt out and you're physically in the room, but you're you're not mentally there, right? Just to be there and to be spending that time, it's going to be way more beneficial to have these like shorter spurts where you can really fully show up. Um, and also like looking at when we swing to that side of the pendulum where we are so overly involved in our kids' lives, you know, what they've now deemed like the helicopter parent or the drone yeah. parent is that we we're actually creating long-term problems with kids' resilience, with their anxiety levels. I mean, it may appear like we're helping them in the moment. So we're like, you know, appeasing all suffering and we're giving them everything that they need. And yes, sir, no, sir. You know, we're beckoning whatever they need, suddenly like bowing to them. But in the long term, when you look at like all these researchers like Angela Duckworth and Ned Strickser and and all those people that were with the self-driven child, the, the research is clear, like we need to leave space for them to make their own mistakes. We need to leave space for us to make mistakes. And that's yeah. how we all learn best. That's how they build up the resiliency they need. That's how we build up the resiliency we need. And then we can all walk this path together instead of when we're like this little enmeshed ball of exhaustion. <laughs> you know, we're not yeah. knowing who who starts where or what goes where. Uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I've been thinking a lot about And I know this is kind of like a buzzword that people talk about a lot. I see it on social media in the parenting world, but parenting with intention and being an intentional parent, it's hard to do. And like you said, it's like my instinct is to my boys are fighting. I want to like break it up and say like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? Like intervene, intervene. But the harder thing to do is almost just to let it unfold and see how they're going to work it out. Obviously, you have to step in, you know, when you did for their safety and things like that. But, <laughs> <there's> um, <blood. laughs> but like, I think there's there's something to be said about taking a step back and being intentional because in the long run, it might be easier in that moment to just like handle it. I know I fall into this trap a lot, but in the long run, like you said, it's going to create resilience and it's going to not just for the kids, but for parents as well. And I'm never thinking about myself in that situation. I'm always thinking about like them, 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 what do they need? So I think that was really important to bring up that. It's for us too. It's for parents to grow. And like you said, eventually our kids will, in one capacity or another, they'll leave us and have to be able to go off on their own. So I think it's energy management for us as the parents. It's the teaching resilience. It's allowing the space for people to have their own discoveries. Like there's just so many benefits to leaving that little bit of space. And I know there's a lot of people that follow like the rise style of parenting. And there's a lot that I like drawing from different styles of parenting and like cobbling together my own. But I'm not saying you're super hands off and, you know, stone faced and just letting them do whatever. Like you said, you know, you're, you're checking in. And our good yeah. friend Jenna Hermans, right, who wrote yeah. Chaos to Calm, she she yeah. calls her book Intentional Parenting. And I love that because it's also changing every moment. And this is where the yoga practice has been most helpful. It's like every day I show up to the mat and my body is different. So how can I show up to who I am today? How can I show up for who my kid is and what their needs are today? That's the intention. The intention is to be present and connected with what is needed in that moment, with who is in front of you. Because who's in front of you is not the same kid that was in front of you 
at 7 a.m., right? And is not the same right. kid as their sibling. So we have to just keep coming into this place of like, okay, connect, connect with ourselves, connect with them, connect with what's really happening. I mean, it, and it is, it's exhausting at first yeah. because it, it's like a like in a split second, you have to be thinking about all these other things. But in the long run, again, you got to keep thinking of big picture, big picture, big picture. You're actually, you're giving them independence. You're giving them all of these incredible skills and you're saving your own energy in the long run too, because the more that they can start to self-regulate and do these things on their own, the more you can start to kind of step out of it. And then you just get to be an observer of this beautiful self-driven child, you know, as, as the experts call it. That's hitting home like to the core. I was thinking more so like year to year how your kids change and how you change. But like seriously, from the child you have in the morning to the child at night is a very different person and and being mindful of who they are in that moment and everyone's temperament and what's going on is so, so helpful because I I don't remember what year it was. Maybe it was when my oldest went off to preschool. When they start being a little more independent, it's like you have to be able to switch to like, Oh, let them try and put on, let them, you like, like be very mindful of stepping back because for such a long time, especially in like that first year and when they're young infants, you know, you're not on autopilot, but you're kind of like, you know, your role, you like feed, change, you know, make sure they're sleeping, all the things. And then as your kids get older and older, you know, different things start being thrown into the mix and it just teaches you even more and more. I realized to step back and reevaluate. And like you said, every, every child's different. I was not prepared for how different siblings could be. I was like, we've done this before. I got this. And wow, personalities could not be any more different. And so parenting is different and being mindful of that and knowing that going into it, I think was is super helpful. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who are yoga instructors, yoga educators, but not everybody decides to write a book and put what you did out into the world. So what inspired you to go ahead and write this book? I mean, there's a lot of great yoga books out there, right? And there's a lot of great parenting books and there's a lot of great mindful parenting books, but I just found a lack in the actual like yoga and parenting sector, right? Like there, yeah. And I was looking for the book that I needed. You know, when I was first pregnant, I read everything like, you know, Bringing Up Bebe and all these like amazing books that I enjoyed. (laughs) And I was Emily Oster, you know, like I I got this, you know, it it, it made me feel like I was like, I will succeed at this motherhood thing, which, of course, you know, was blown to bits from like the second (laughs) I had my first contraction. And then uh, by the time I got back to reading, I was starting to read parenting books And I had read some parenting books before he was born. And I was like, oh, sure. Like, yeah, memorize these steps. But when I started to read them after, in those early months of postpartum, where my anxiety was through the roof, the pandemic was just starting or had already begun. You know, there were so many circumstances. I mean, just new motherhood in general, the physical healing from my birth. Every book that I was reading was making me feel worse. And I suddenly was like, you know, what is going on? Like, where, where is the book that's supposed to be helping me and guiding me? They're telling me what to do, but then I can't remember the exact steps. And some of them are making me feel like if I don't do these exact steps, then I'm, you know, screwing my kid up for the rest of their life. And right. I just, I couldn't find the solace that I was seeking. The mindful parenting books were incredibly helpful. Like I love Hunter Clark Field, Raising Good Humans. Like that was like a Bible to me. But then I was like, but wait, you know, this is all kind of, you know, more mindfulness and and more of the Buddhist lineage. So where's the yoga of it all? 
So I decided to start interviewing people and asking them the questions that I needed answered. I wasn't getting them in books in written form. So I'm like, okay, I'll bring it to everybody else. I'll write the book and let's bring it to everybody else. And what happened is I did interview after interview and hour after hour was I realized that everyone was saying the same thing, which is only you know your kids best. And it's okay and, and important to have guides. And of course we want you know, I, I don't even, I'm using air quotes because I know people will be listening to like experts to like help shepherd us. But at the end of the day, the gut response of knowing what to do for your kid is inside of you. And we have to keep coming back to that place of wisdom and truth. And so what's the access point for that? Well, like this is what the yoga is all about. It's all about listening to your body and listening to your intuition and honing your intuition skills. Um, which is somebody with severe anxiety. I don't know how you feel, but like my anxiety and my intuition get confused all the time. I don't like, I'm like, is this anxiety? Is this intuition? Like, what right. am I feeling? But when I'm able to really slow things down, when I'm meditating, when I'm doing my practices, when I'm on my medication, when I'm seeing my therapist, like when when all the tools are applied, there is a place of deep knowing inside of me that, you know, like, for example, one of my sons was acting out and the school was portraying him in this particular way. And like, we're first time parents where, you know, we were like, well, maybe this is true. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. This isn't a big red flag. And maybe this is an issue. And in that moment, as I'm like hearing this from the administrator, I'm like questioning it. But when I got home and I sit in my meditation practice and I sit on my mat and I get grounded and quiet with myself, I know my truth. I can feel my truth. Part of like that fear that I was feeling as she was speaking to me was not a fear of this being true for him. It was the like knowledge that she's so very wrong. So that part of it is like, it, it, I, I want to acknowledge that for people that are highly anxious, it can be really hard to kind of clear the lens to know what is what. But I do think that when we get quiet enough and maybe it happens in a therapy setting, maybe it happens in a meditation setting, maybe it happens when you're talking to a girlfriend or another mom, but you feel it, right? You feel the answer in your tummy. It's always in there and we can have guides and we can have experts like you can have these books that will help kind of show you the paths. But ultimately, the path is back in towards yourself. I have definitely experienced what you're talking about. I don't think I've ever heard it put into words like that, where I've had a struggle between like my anxiety and my intuition. But that's exactly what it's been. And it's happened in many different aspects of motherhood so far for me and in a similar situation with my son in kindergarten. And yeah, my anxiety was like, oh my gosh, how do I fix this? Like, you know, and then the, by the time I calmed down and kind of really thought about it, I was like, you know what? I know my child. I know what he needs. And I don't think this is it. This isn't yeah. what, it's not what they're saying. But you're right. For people with anxiety, it's a struggle. And to quiet it all and turn in is so, so very helpful. I know there's so many books out there and everything, but it's so cool that you went sought out to interview people and everybody was saying the same thing because oftentimes they feel like there is advice floating around out there in motherhood. There's a lot of bad advice and advice that might work for somebody, but not for you. But I think the common theme is, you know, your kid best and people can say that to you, but seeing it in a book and seeing how it's applied in everything you talk about and the different stories that are shared is so very helpful and refreshing because there's not anything out there, in my opinion, that I've seen like it. So thank you for putting the Yoga of Parenting book out into the world because it's super helpful for sure. Thank you. Thank you. That just warms my heart so much. 
Well, I won't keep you all day. This has been such a refreshing conversation. I am so interested in this. I am excited for my listeners if they haven't yet to, of course, read your book. And we're going to link to it in the show notes so everyone can connect with you. Where else can people find you? I, of course, follow you on Instagram. You have a podcast as well. I mean, it was just a very limited series okay. podcast because, you know, like, you know, and, and I don't know if this was your intention, but like moms don't really have the time to be sitting oh down gosh. and reading books. So, yes, I, you know, and and not everybody has the time to sit down and digest the entire audible of the book. So I wanted to bring bite-sized conversations. So it was yeah. just a supplement for the book. There's 10 conversations out there. But the best way to connect with me, I mean, my website is kind of the one-stop shop. That's got links to like I have a, a meditation course that's specifically for parents oh, that cool. has, you know, very like short meditation. But it's it's all about, you know, these things that we can apply to everyday parenting. That's through Meditation University. It connects to my Instagram. It connects to my contact form. So if you want to email me and then any tour dates, um, you know, we're as you and I talk right now, we're kind of coming to the end of this run, but we're always adding stuff. And I always love to hear from everybody. So please do reach out and connect. And and I'm just so grateful to be here. And I'm grateful for you for putting this resource out there. It's it's so important. I love your show. I love everything you have to say and how wonderful that your listeners have you, right? Because like, I wish I'd had that four years ago. And, you know, yes. maybe that's why we went through what we went through to create what we needed to create. But I yeah. just don't, I'm so grateful for what you put out. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. And yeah, I think we we both had the same goal of putting out there what we didn't have. So it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Jacqueline. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you found value in today's episode. If you're struggling with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, please know that you don't have to go through that alone. There's nothing to be ashamed of and you deserve to feel your best. Reach out to your doctor, connect with a medical professional. You can always contact me. I'm here to support you. Send me a DM on Instagram at motherhood underscore intended, or you can connect with me in the motherhood intended community group on Facebook and send me a private message there. I am not a medical professional, but from one mom to another, I can definitely offer you support, be an ear to listen and offer up my own experiences. So you know that you're not the only one who's been through this. Motherhood is hard. Postpartum is hard. Caring for a newborn is hard, but that doesn't mean that you have to feel like you're constantly in survival mode. I encourage you to check out the yoga of parenting and consider incorporating a yoga practice or the practice of meditation into your daily life. Maybe it'll work for you and maybe it won't, but anything you can do to feel grounded and confident in yourself is only going to help you be the best mom that you can be. There is no shame in the struggle. And as women, the more we can talk about these things, the more we can support each other and lift each other up in motherhood. If this episode resonated with you, please leave a review. And if you have any suggestions of guests that you would love to see on the podcast or topics you want to hear more about, please write a review and let me know. I read every single review. I think we have over 80 five-star reviews for the podcast, and I absolutely love hearing what listeners have to say. Next week on the show, I have a returning guest who is going to join me in a conversation about all the things we didn't know before trying to conceive. We're talking about our bodies, things about fertility, and so much more. I want to bring up this topic because I want to know what can we do better as a society so the next generation of women knows more. I don't want them to be 35 years old saying, I didn't know what I didn't know. Prior to becoming moms, prior to trying to conceive, we should be given all the information that we need about our bodies, our options, and all the different paths to motherhood. So be sure to tune in next week for this episode. It will air on Thursday. 
Have a great weekend and I will talk to you then.